the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. This is the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode 242 this week. I'm Paul Spain. I'm Nate Dunn. And I'm Keith Patton. Welcome along, guys. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me. That's right. No worries. Now, uh, starting with you, Keith, where do you fit into the technology world here in New Zealand? Uh, the technology world, well, I uh, run a company called Marker Metro. Uh, we're a team of app and game builders, uh, about 20 strong over in Greylane. And uh, yeah, we've been, uh, we do everything from Windows application development to game porting and co-development with some big studios over on the west coast of America. Excellent. So, good stuff. Great. And Nate? Um, I'm one of the owners of a company called 3Bit. We're a general software house, and we do all sorts of things. We do a lot of zero stuff, and I moderator on Geek Zone, and I blog, and you keep having me back here, so I must be doing something right. <laughs> so that's how I fit it. Excellent. Well, th- th- thank you again for uh, for joining us. Well, well, let's just jump straight in. Now, I wanted to start a little chat around uh, Windows 10. Now, Keith, you've been looking, obviously, pretty closely at Windows 10 for a little while. Yeah. Probably for a long while, actually, uh, because you write a lot of Windows uh, apps, and really, you know, keen to hear your sort of feedback now that Windows 10 is actually launched. Mm. How you're finding it, and uh, yeah, we've got things new browser in there with uh, with Edge and so on. Yeah. We were having a chat about that a little bit earlier on. Now, yeah. W- yeah, what are your experiences for you and your team? Have you, you know have all your staff moved across to Windows 10? Have you got you know what's the current state of the play for you guys? Uh, pretty much. I mean, from a from a technical point of view, it's a really good upgrade for uh, developers who are more used to the you know things like the start menu and and the world that they live in when you've got a big monitor and a big screen. So some of the changes have been sort of like quite welcomed for sort of more power users and. Windows 10. Um, I think from the sort of overall brand and acceptance, we had a lot of, I think it's over 100 million downloads quite quickly. You know, it is free, so that's encouraging there. Um, but little things like my son coming home from school and talking about it with his friends saying, well, I've got Windows 10 and my friend Nick's got it. He didn't say that with Windows 8 before or other releases. So there's a little bit of a buzz about it that's kind of stretching into, you know, other generations. Of course, he's my son, so he's more likely to be talking about it. But I think there's a lot more uh, excitement about it than previous releases. I think it's uh, uh, Microsoft have uh, fixed. They've listened to customers. They've kept what's strong in Windows 8. There was a lot of stuff, I think, that was in there that was good. But I think some of the user experience thing for certain people uh, wasn't, wasn't the right model for certain people in Windows 8. And they've kind of fixed that. Uh, and I think it's it's promising to be the the, the the sort of Windows 7 to Windows 10 upgrade path. I think it's going to be a very successful release for Microsoft. Um, it's they call this window. They, they're calling it the last release of Windows. So they're talking about Windows as a service now. Uh, and I guess what that means is that um, there are certain things that will continue to always be updated. And you mentioned the Edge browser. You know, it's it's claiming to be the fastest. I think it's one of the fastest browsers out there now. They've put a new, you know, updated engine. It's streamlined. It's modern. But it's missing some things. You know, we still need extensions. We still need some features that people would be commonly used to before they'll switch to it full time. So some people, you know, your mileage may may vary with some of the new stuff. Um, yeah, it does definitely definitely seems snappy, doesn't it? But yeah, it's very fast. Uh, yeah, I think it's a yeah, it's a fair point. There there are a few things still to still to come in terms of uh, yeah features. Yeah, one of the things that we've sort of got used to is that you move from device to device now and, you know, your favourites and history and those sorts of things sort of start moving around with you and I think, you know, that's one thing they haven't quite delivered yet. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it seems a little bit disappointing that they haven't, you know, quite nailed all of those things. There are a few sort of rough edges, but, yeah, yeah gen, you know, generally as a platform, uh, 
yeah, they, they seem to have knocked off most of the you know the big pain points. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there was obviously the the tradition the what you might have expected is IE12, right? You know, they've, they've bitten the bullet. They've gone for a modern browser experience. They've had to re- redevelop it, a lot of stuff from scratch. So I think when you've got a release point set and you're trying to get something out there, they could have done an IE12 and said, we'll do that next. But they did take the plunge. And with the Windows as a service model, I think you'll, you'll we see rapid iterations now that they're, they've set. There's a lot of work behind the scenes to set up the capability to deliver quality updates, bug fixes in a more rapid fashion than we've ever seen with something like Windows before you know yeah oh, it looks good nate have um have any of your guys at uh, at three bit been using windows 10 just no yet? we we're holding off we just want to we're doing a bit of a wait and see and see we'd prefer to wait a little bit and see what get all the bugs worked out first i'm still on windows 7 i'm about to get rid of this as we were talking about with the surface because my business partner's got one um so i'll get windows 10 when that comes out but yeah, we've. I think we've just been too busy at the moment to look at doing an upgrade, and I'm always a bit conscious of being one of those first people off the rank. I'd like to wait and get it all settled first, and then jump across. Because for us, any downtime is obviously lost billing hours, and yeah. lost billing hours makes it a little bit hard to pay pay people's uh, salaries. So, yeah, we had a bit of a Friday afternoon upgrade session. It was about twenty five, thirty minutes for most of the developer PCs going things, Surface Pros, no yeah. problems out of the team. Uh, but I think I think about two thirds of us have upgraded now. Yeah, I had some problems recently with Surface Pro and getting access to the latest firmware and things like that. But they've um, they've released an update just in the last week, I think, around the firmware. Have you experienced any any of that with your Surface uh, and Pros? On the, on the on the preview builds, I had some problems uh, upgrading on certain of the fast running builds. Uh, but since the RTM, I upgraded from from the ISO, and it was uh, was pretty seamless. Went well. But yeah, previous builds, not some of them weren't so hot. Hmm. So I guess, you know, it's it's hard to give a general recommendation. I know listeners will be, you know, there'll be a range of our listeners out there from, uh, you know, we, we have individual consumers that are, you know, just wondering whether they should upgrade their home machines and so on. You know, in a lot of those cases, that will that will work just fine. And, you know, I think a lot of people have, have had a very good experience with the upgrade. There's always a slim chance of having, you know, some sort of problem, so... As always, uh, you know, you're probably not going to lose all your data, but as always, you should have all your data backed up anyway, right? There's yeah. not really any change in recommendation around that. And it's worth pointing out, when I did have the problems with the Surface Pro 3, I was able to revert back. So, the, you know, the, yes, you should be careful, you can't lose stuff, but the reverting back process is pretty straightforward and user-friendly when it comes to, oh, this hasn't worked, something has gone badly wrong, you know, go back to 8.1 or whatever previous one you were on. Yeah, and you've got uh, something like thirty days to be able to revert back as well. I think. Okay. There's, yep. a, there's possible to um, to have that revert back option. So, yeah. So it's not too scary at that end. You know, I think uh, you know businesses and and universities and government departments and and the like. Uh, Sure, they're going to have some you know, processes that they have to follow, but you know, I guess the recommendation would be, you know, for those that are you know, in those sorts of organisations, then yeah, your IT departments should uh, should be you know trialling it, and uh, you know, be make sense to actually be getting it out amongst some of your staff, uh, you know, at least your technical people, but uh, possibly a little bit more broadly, and um, and actually you know, kicking the tyres and. And seeing how it works, because mm. you know, I think in, in many regards, it is um, it's a good good step forward, and you don't have to be impacted by 
you know, being scared of the new browser, for instance, because you can still run the existing Internet Explorer and other browsers like Chrome and so on as, yeah. your, as your defaults, if you like, right? Yeah, and, and, and another thing with, uh, we say Windows as a service, the updates will come thick and fast. Someone working in Enterprise will be like, whoa, we don't want that. Well, there's, you know, there are special editions of Windows. Of course, Windows 10's got a special one, which allows you to control the updates that are coming That's down. Cool. So it's not, uh, it's more of an Enterprise capability to uh, roll that out in a sensible way. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, larger organisations would generally be on the enterprise version of Windows, so they'll get access to all those sorts of uh, capabilities. So shouldn't be a shouldn't be a problem. Uh, And uh, yeah, I think there's, you know, there's still a few things coming through uh, in terms of some of those uh, battery tweaks. Keith, we were chatting about those earlier. And, you know, it seems like updates over the over the next few months will probably, uh, you know, deliver uh, Windows 10 sort of better battery life than what people have uh, probably had on uh, on previous version of w- versions of Windows, right? Yeah, I think that's the case. I think uh, I think the official statement of Windows sort of parity with 8.1 on RTM on launch day, but uh, quickly, uh, you know, some of the first first updates we should see the operating system self- itself having with, you know, all things being equal with the same hardware will have improved, uh, greatly improved battery life pretty soon. Yeah. So, yeah, good things there, and of course, uh, Windows uh, 10 on the on the phone and uh, landing on Xbox and so on. Those things are all uh, all coming in the months ahead. So, it'll be be interesting times to see, uh, you know, just how Microsoft does with this. Uh, but it does seem as though they've uh, they've made a better step than what they did with Windows 8 for by by a long shot. Yes, I think the ex- the experience for a lot of people will be uh, probably how more they would have expected a Windows 7 upgrade. Yeah. Uh, so that's good. Now, uh, other news, Vector are, uh, are doing a little bit of a giveaway with the Tesla batteries. And, you know, of course, we heard some months ago the, uh, the announcement from Tesla being able to basically put their, uh, their newly designed batteries into your, your home and uh, provide a range of, uh, range of benefits of being able to take your house uh, you know, off the grid, uh, if you've you know, got solar and, and, and so on, um, back up for... Uh, when there's power cuts. Um, what are your thoughts on this, Keith? Uh, it seems like a great idea. I mean, I think that, um, you know, the solar has been uh, something that's been pushed by the energy companies for some time. And I think the Tesla cells will only, you know, enhance and make more intract- attractive the, uh, uh, the the option of having solar in your house. I haven't run the numbers on it, but, you know, giving away the, the solar panels and the cells. And after 10 years, I think they're owned by Vector. And after 10 years, they, they're, they're yours. It's a very, you know, the, the cells themselves look great. And it's only, it's only, I think, two or three months after the announcement. So it's a, it's a very fast and quick partnership. So I think Vector have done a good job in getting this happening so quickly. Um, and I hope they do giveaways of the cars as well at some point. Oh, that'd be nice. <laughs> eh? that'd yeah, be we, nice. we'd all be well, lining up for one of those. Well, yeah. they, well, they, we, um, well, probably not officially Tesla, but uh, Uber today were, were giving free, uh, free Tesla rides around uh, Auckland City, I think it was. Uh, although when I when I went to check, there were there were none available to drive me around. I was a bit disappointed. Oh, no good. Yeah, um, and what you've got the details there. Who are they going to be? Uh, who are they going to be? You know, offering um, to to give the batteries to who they who have they sort of picked out? Um, it looks like uh, 130 overall, and there's a hundred going to public and community groups, and another 30 going to schools, state and state integrated schools. Okay, that's yeah. a ni- nice way to do it. Mm-hmm. Nate, what are, you, what are your thoughts? Um, it's pretty cool. I remember reading an article about the battery, and it wasn't talking about solar, but it was actually talking about, you know, how power's a lot cheaper at night because the demand's not there. That's right. Talking yeah. about how you could charge it up 
you know, when you're sleeping and then during those peak periods, you use the battery to power your home. So then you're in sort of on average paying a lot less. I, I think it is a natural um, jump for Tesla to, to do in-home batteries because I've spent all this R&D developing battery technology for their cars. And I think, didn't they build their big factory in, was it Nevada that gave them all the tax? There was a, a state that they pretty much went to tender and said, yep. whoever's going to give us the best uh, tax kickbacks, we're going to build mm. it. And mm. I, I think it was Nevada. I could be wrong. Um, and so they've got all this um, amazing IP around batteries. So it makes sense to bu- to build this amazing battery rather than the homes. And because it's Tesla, I love it. So Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's a, it's a good sort of pivot of their brand, but it's not a big pivot because they've, as you say, They've done a huge amount of research, uh, you know, into this technology. They they really are, uh, you know, leading the world in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, they've a massive number of patents around all these sorts of things. Although they've open sourced a whole lot of that uh, technology. So yeah, I'm I'm really curious about this. I don't. They haven't given any dates yet, have they? In terms of when this is going to, uh, when we're actually going to see the batteries become available publicly. Um, I think on the sign up form, it's I don't know if it's on the article there, but I thought it was in the next. Two months in the coming months, it was in the sign up form. Yeah, I don't think the batteries will be available oh, quite that so, quickly, yeah. though. Um, so, yeah, I think there's still a little bit of wait, wait and okay. see there. Um, now, um, Rocket Lab, they've cut a little bit of a, um, a deal with NASA. This is interesting. Um, Isn't that cool how we've, we're, we're, launching, we're launching rockets? Who would have thought that our little country? We'd yeah. be getting into the, the spa- I think it's amazing. It's a rock star economy, now we're a rocket economy. It's pretty yeah. amazing. And, and it comes back to when, you know, you're having a few drinks with some mates and like, oh, what do you do? Oh, I, you know, just work on rockets. Yeah. Oh, as you do. Mm. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah, yeah, was it you, Nate, that was, was saying one of your, one of your friends yeah, is, a, uh, is working a, there? A friend of mine works for them. Um, I should know what he does there, but I'm not actually too sure. But um, I, I think it is a natural partnership with NASA and them because NASA obviously has all the um, expertise and has all the experience with doing it. They just mm. don't have the funding to do it. Um, so it makes sense to pull off their um, knowledge and bounce ideas off them on with the New Zealand space race as well. So it's uh, such a cool New Zealand story. Mm. Is there anything we can't do? Hopefully not much. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's really cool. I, I was at the uh, media launch uh, when they, they showed off their new uh, rocket and it's... Uh, um, engine and so on last year so mm. yeah it was I didn't know what to expect they just said look come along to Rocket Lab we're announcing something and you know I knew up until that time they'd had the just you know the very the much much, much smaller ones um, and so yeah seeing where they're where they're at now um, with the Electron which is an 18 meter long uh, rocket uh, is it's pretty phenomenal, and yeah, I guess having this deal with uh, with NASA just gives them a bit more flexibility in terms of launch, you know, sites and locations, and you know they were they were talking about um, wanting to get into a position or, or being able to get into a position of being able to do a launch a week if they wanted to, fifty launches wow. a year. Uh, so I guess having that flexibility to do some of those out of the US rather than just out of New Zealand mm. uh, certainly get, will give them a bit more flexibility. So. Um, yeah, really, really cool, uh, cool stuff. Um, now, there was a there was a little interesting story that uh, came in the New Zealand Herald uh, late last week around um, a laptop that disappeared in Australia and turned up in New Zealand. And the curious bit about this is this was in the New Zealand Herald and. They said that Microsoft were able to track their laptop for them, and I thought this was rather curious. Now, 
It's that special NSA plugin that, that you can tick when you install Windows. Well, this is interesting. I'm still trying to get a few facts on it because I went to Microsoft and asked them and they researched it across New Zealand and Australia and no one had, you know, was able to come back with any advice. So I said, how how was this laptop, you know, tracked? Can you give me a little bit more details about this? Uh, and as yet haven't, haven't heard anything back. Now, there's all sorts of technical ways of, of tracking, but... You know, as far as I knew in terms of the, uh, I guess, the, the standard software that comes with Windows, hmm. uh, it's really only Windows Phone has got, you know, you can track your phone like you can track an iPhone. In fact, it's slightly better than the iPhone because uh, your phone doesn't have to be to be on. It ping, you know, it just yeah. pings back and um, and it stores the, the, you know, last known location in the, in the cloud and so on. Yeah. Uh, but on a laptop, that sort of news to I me. I don't think there's any consumer features built into Windows desktop laptop. Um, that allow you to, to do that whether there's uh, it's third party or whether there's some opt-in uh, customer experience or some sort of send you know let us help help you do something with your computer that that information in terms of uh, an- anonymous locations st- I, I don't know there could be something that has been ticked as part of the install of something that has then been found to be of use when Microsoft have been helping to uh, sort it out but from a core OS point of view I'm not aware of anything that's controllable by the user that allows them to do that it's probably also one of those user things where they go, oh, I lost my laptop and I just spoke to Microsoft and they tracked it. Or, you know, they don't really know things like, you know, when the iPad first came out, there was all the Android tablets. People go, oh, what have you got? And you just say, oh, it's an iPad because it's easy. Everyone knows an iPad yeah. and a tablet is the same thing. So, yeah, from I've never heard of a Microsoft product that allows you to, to track in such a way. So it's got to be. They may said they called Microsoft, but it could have been the IT shop. Yeah, the road. Yeah, and yeah, it's like, it's yeah. A, but it had a Microsoft flag well, on the computer. So they got the confused. story went the student school, which had issued him with a laptop. Now, this was a laptop issued um, in Australia, was left on a park bench in, in Sydney. The student school, which had issued him with a laptop, contacted Microsoft, which had been able to track the device's slow passage across the Tasman to a house in the South Island town uh, had been found in uh, Rangiora. Uh, and, yeah, this was quite quite curious. So it had been on, uh, on someone was, you know, on a cruise ship back from uh, back from Australia and uh, had supposedly found it and was, you know, going to... But it looks like they're not going to charge the kid either because... Re- return it. Because it happened in Australia and he's here and I think he probably needed to change his underpants. Mm. He, when the cops turned up, he was just like, here, take it, and they thought, yeah. oh, it's, you know, we're going to send your laptop back, so no harm, no foul, really. Yeah, and it's uh, it says here that um, uh, we're talking uh, Sergeant Colin Stewart. Uh, he had said, um, "Where was his statement?" Um, that he was surprised by how much information Microsoft was able to give him. Yeah, it's just fascinating. So, um, yeah, yeah, cur- curious uh, exactly who they. Who they spoke to, but there are there are special channels, I guess, for law enforcement to go uh, through to with um, you know with the likes of, of Microsoft and, and Google and so on. So um, this was maybe some um, some direct channel that they had. So we're trying to find out a little bit more about that, um, but uh, yeah, rather rather a curious one. So if you if your gadget disappears, um, maybe the police can uh, can get hold of Microsoft or whoever and uh, and track it down for you. Uh, if you if you don't have any um, any standards, you know, um, track your phone features enabled, well, and which you won't if it's your laptop. So yeah, 
Um, now, we, we, uh, we've had hands on a bunch of uh, new gadgets uh, recently, and uh, today we had a bit of a play with um, the Parrot Bebop drone. Now, this was one we tried to get hold of earlier on the year, and uh, Parrot didn't have any about to send us, and uh, I was in touch because they've got some new uh, mini drones that have just, just, uh, just been announced in the last couple of weeks. And uh, I thought, well, that'd be uh, that'd be interesting just to have a little bit of a look at. And these mini drones, they've got ones that go on water, and ones that you can sort of uh, you know drive around on the ground. So they're not your traditional sort of all they're not all sort of uh, copter type drones. Uh, but there's one that goes on water that has a piece that uh, separates off and can fly separately from the the boat part. Um, which is, is is kind of interesting, um, but uh, yeah, today we all had a little bit of a play with the um, parrot bebop. What was your uh, what was your take on on this one, Keith? Uh, I, I thought it was pretty cool. I particularly liked the uh, you know the full on control mechanism, with it, which I think is optional from the bebop, the main bebop drone itself. Um, it's like one of those things. I think I was saying that you uh, you know you could stand at a barbecue and needs one of those little wine glass accessories to go onto the side and say to your mate, you know, can you please toss the steak? I'm just bringing the drone down, you know, that sort of thing. So it looks like very impressive. <laughs> look, look what I'm doing with these two. You know. It does. Look, it, it looks very it looks cool very with cool. that full full remote control. You can yeah. control, you know, the camera direction and yeah, you got your little joysticks and so on. So and you uh, and you just you know pop into it your tablet and it'll take an Android. Um, tablet or it'll take your ipad and it's adjustable so it doesn't matter too much whether you've got a smaller or larger uh, tablet you can just hook it in and you get that uh, first person uh, view from the camera so you can you know, actually see you know you can see through it's it's sort of uh, it's eye view and uh, yeah it seemed, seemed to work uh, reasonably well yeah we had to give it a bit of a firmware update and whatnot but um, yeah it seemed to be good around the office what about the bouncing off the walls yeah, well, um, I think... Uh, Is that what we saw in the video? We didn't actually bounce off any walls? Well, it, it, we managed to put it back together afterwards, didn't we? So... But it is, it's, it's very, very stable, very wasn't resilient. it? Very resilient. Yeah, stress test. It's very, it's very resilient and it's very stable, right? Because you, you took it for a bit of a spin, Keith. And, I think uh, the battery ran out. It wasn't me. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. The, okay. landing, the landing button was not operational. I did, like, I did like how it's got that emergency button where you push it and it pretty much just cuts power. So if you're going near power lines or something, that the thing's going to explode. Mm. You push that and it just drops. Mm. And it seemed, um, yeah, I mean, we didn't get to... We were trying to behave with these new laws that have just come into place, which is why originally I had a little quick play with it last week before uh, before I um, headed off to the States. And, uh, yeah, I didn't get enough time to play with it, unfortunately. But now the laws have changed. We were a little bit more uh, constrained about where we can uh, where we can fly it. So, yeah, never mind. But um, good good fun all the same. Um, and, yeah, the so, yeah, you can get it on its own and just control it through your uh, smartphone. Or you can get it with the um, uh, what they call the Sky Controller, and yeah, well, we're looking up the Sky Controller if you uh, you know, have one of these and sort of want to want to take it to the next level because it's um, yeah, it's pretty pretty phenomenal. All right, uh, now moving on to um, other bits and pieces, we have the Apple Watch, which uh, finally launched officially here in New Zealand last week. Um, now. As usual, we, we usually find most of the uh, tech vendors in New Zealand are very good at giving us some um, some loan product. Um, I've spoken about the Apple Watch on the um, on the podcast before, um, but I originally had the Sport one. So Apple have loaned me one of the nice, fancy um, steel and um, or stainless stainless steel models, and uh, actually. 
what I found was having having a nicer one that actually you feel I don't know feel, it looks looks a bit cooler than the um, the sport one to me. Mm. Uh, I found that I actually am wearing that every day. It's sort of a, a it feels a bit nicer to wear. Mm. Um, and a couple of things that were useful for me on my trip the last few days have been in the US. As uh, soon as you change your uh, your time zone on your iPhone, that automatically syncs back to your watch. So quite nice when you're traveling to be able to have that have that on there. Um, and of course, you can also control a secondary time to show up on your screen and so on. So um, just a very a very small thing, but um, yeah, quite nice if you're doing a bit of uh, traveling and so on. And knowing that you've actually got that's one of the one of the things I found actually in my car since I've had. Um, a car player my car and android auto is when you've got those plugged into your car you've always got the actually the correct time on your you know on your screen of your car uh instead of always having a little bit out so um yeah just a a nice nice little side effect so uh i'm quite looking forward still to this next version of the software from from uh from apple um and i think that's going to make a bit of a difference now keith you've sort of been keeping a bit of a watch on on that are you looking at doing uh development on the down the watch path uh yeah we have been doing some uh, i think there's a lot of excitement about the capability for you know native apps watch os 2 is kind of charging it up a little bit uh dependency on the you know just better all around the ability to go full native and not have the, that sort of dependency or being sort of like an extension to a normal ios app uh, it kind of uh, will should bring it into its own and Make the applications a little bit more powerful, a lot more flexibility in WatchOS too. Um, so uh, yeah, looking forward to that. Really, more capability, um, which is due pretty soon. Yep, Nate, um, where did you go with with watches? You were looking at getting an Android Wear. Have you been? I actually was really impressed with the Huawei ones when I was in Singapore, which was supposed to launch here not too long. I had the Backbeat Two, I think it is the one where you can pull Talkband you- Talk B Two. Yeah, that's that's launched now. So I had that for three or four weeks, and I was using that. But in bright sunlight, it doesn't work very well. And yeah, yeah you so, can't you can't sort of see the screen in yeah, which bright is a bit sunlight, a, which is a bit of a problem when you're wearing a watch. Um, yeah, so I'm tossing up whether to look at getting one of the Huawei ones or actually getting a really nice um, old school watch. So I'm not sure, but I actually don't wear a watch at the moment, which also throws a little bit of a curveball into the mix. Mm. Now, um, talk, talking of uh, Huawei or Huawei, depending on how you like to pronounce it, um, their um, their smartphone, the P8, which we talked about before, which I've got, which you've got, <laughs> thank you, yes, Huawei, um, has 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 did launch uh, last month in, in New Zealand, and one of the things they had talked about with us in, in London at the initial sort of global launch event was around. A warranty that would actually cover a screen breakage because it's one of the most common things to happen as you smash your screen and it was mentioned there when I delved a little bit further it was suggested that that was unlikely to be part of the New Zealand uh, you know launch mm. package that you'd get access to that but as it turns out New Zealand's the first place in the world where if you buy the uh, Huawei P8 um, they are co- they are covering a, uh, a screen a replacement of your screen. Uh, once I think during the first twelve months, so yep. that is um, is actually really really nice uh, thing to 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 bundle in. Yeah, they announced that in cool. Singapore. I think that was the 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 policy that was in uh, Malaysia and Singapore up there. And then yeah, I think there was some confusion over whether it would actually translate down here. And then I remember when it launched, they did say that would be here as well. So an amazing price point. You can buy it on two degrees. I actually tweeted a photo of it in the newspaper, and I think two degrees is selling it for seven nine nine. Yeah, which, that's, that's the launch price here which in New is Zealand. Which is a pretty is good, seven, I think a good price compared to the S6 and the iPhone. 
doesn't have all the niceties, but you're pretty close, and that's a really good price point. Yeah, I think. I mean, still, you you expect to pay a premium for you know for the brand when you're buying you know Samsung and, and Apple. Uh, and as you say, there are there are some differences. It's not the it's not the the same product, but there's also some you know some very nice things about the P8 as well. Have you had a look at that one, Keith? No, I haven't actually. It sounds pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, I think there's. Have you got one on you, uh, yeah, Nate? I've got one. Yeah. It's um. It's a. It's a. It is a very. Is a very very slick handset. Very capable. Uh, at at that price point. Um. The what else do we have there? Um. Oh, the new sensor. Um. That can tell if a room is crowded. What's your thoughts on this, Nate? That be uh. Where, where where would you use that? It would have to. I would think of it straight away. Is this the sort of thing they put into bars and clubs and so on? You can go online and, and see whether a, whether a, a club's really sort of rocking or not, or what sort of situations with this type of technology? Just reminds used me of in. the bouncer standing, you know, with the old school clicky clicky jobby, and then yeah. he count. And that's how he counts, and he sort of minus. So they could use leave. it to maybe calculate how many people are are in a venue at a given time. I did wonder if you could just stand there and you sort of go, oh, there's about ten people there, and the Rooms about ten times bigger than where they are, so there's a hundred people in the room. Yeah, I yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, to me, it seems like overkill for technology, but whatever. If you need accurate numbers, I suppose for fire, we'll I, find ways of using them. Yeah, right? yeah, I'm All sure. of these sort of Internet of Things sensors that can get hooked into the Internet of Things are going to come in handy, surely. Yeah. What do you think, oh, Keith? I mean, uh, as an avid club goer myself, I think I probably the <laughs> father of two. I, I don't get out much to these. You know, and in Auckland, you know, we don't really. I just rock up places, and they tend to not have too many people. The places I go to, but I think, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. It's hard to see it kind of taken off. It's a little one of those. Ones, you know, maybe, maybe it kind of has a use, but. Um, I think if it's made seamless into like the experience that you have with an app, or you, you know, an event app, or or, or some other uh, thing that's providing a more sort of uh, kind of holistic way of, about how you're planning, you know, if it was something that was 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 easily linked into, for you know, Facebook event apps that we really use, then maybe. But I think it's it's hard to see it taking off because it needs to be it's one of those critical mass type things that needs to be sort of in a lot of places at once. But. Mm. Yeah, and, and I guess I mean the more of these different sensors that get invented and the cost of them will probably come down very very low uh you know you can imagine over time there will the uses for them will come up with uses and i i imagine they they probably started with some you know business cases some uses in mind so uh yeah it'll be it'll be i guess it'll probably be sprung upon us over time as these sensors get put into place and you know we'll just come to accept them yeah, uh, and yeah, and whatever benefits they they do or don't, uh, yeah, give us, we will we will see. Um, you know, hmm, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure of any immediate sort of uh, yeah killer use cases for them, but I, I, yeah, I can imagine maybe if you're running, um, well, let's say you had a chain of restaurants, think of McDonald's and so on. Um, you know, if they could sort of track, you know, just how busy their stores are take that data compare it with sales compare it with store sizes and so on you know you imagine uh, say in the you know in a big market like the US where they must have thousands and thousands mm. of stores and they must have to make decisions about you know building and buying new premises re-signing leases and so on they could just go into their pool of data in terms of well actually we notice this particular venue's always you know this particular restaurant's always full 
you know, maybe they should make it a bit bigger and so on, just, you know, augment other information that they're collecting already. Yeah, I think, I mean, being able to track entry and exit, you'd think would be done at entry and exit points. You may be able to calculate how many people are there. What might be interesting is how people move within a space. Mm. So their flow, uh, how they queue, whether they get frustrated, how how much time they spend. So being able to identify bodies and then be able Mm. to Mm. apply data to say, you know, if we improve this aspect of the layout of our space, this might work. You know, and it sort of ties into that sort of machine learning, big mm, data, mm. a lot of McDonald's stores, that, that sort of sense. thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, automatically tracking the movement of people. But that's a good idea. We should do that, yeah, right? Patent it now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. I hope no. I hope nobody's listening in on this. Uh, this pr- private chat of ours here. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, now, and another story is um, apparently Amazon wants to uh, build some drive-up grocery stores. Now, this is kind of odd coming from, yeah, the the big retailer that, uh, you know, does everything online, and now they want to get a little bit closer to us. Does does this make sense, Nate? What it do does, think? actually. There's, and I can't think of the guy's name. There's a, a professor I follow on YouTube, and he's talking about how Amazon offers this free shipping, and their costs were, I think, 7 or $8 billion, but they only charge $4 billion. So we're sort of doing this round circle where they removed all the physical stores but now they're having to, they're finding the shipping costs are just so high so they're going to start so the, this particular professor I've been watching was talking about whether they purchase a gas station chain or something like that so then they've got lots of points and they can spread out the products that they've got across the US so they're not having to ship things so far so to me after seeing this particular presentation this makes perfect sense that Amazon are realising it's really hard to compete they've got this amazing online presence but if they can't finish that last mile it's too expensive they're still not going to be that competitive so I think it's a really cool concept I hate shopping so if I could just order online and then pull up and then throw it in the car and I just wave and leave, um, perfect. I wouldn't have to shoplift anymore. And there are there are already services in in the US that do uh, exactly that. They've, in fact, I think we chatted about one the last few weeks that I tried when I was in the US, and uh, you know it was great. You could just turn up outside the retailer. You've you've done your uh, online order. And they just have everything there ready for you to pick up. Didn't Audi have a? Or they just launching a service? Or they're talking about a service where that actually you'd order a product. And they somehow had the key for the boot of your car. And they'd actually, they knew from the GPS where your car was, so they'd leave the product in the boot of your car at work or whatever. It was, I think it was Audi or BMW? Yeah, I can't, the- I can't remember, but that, that makes sense because, you know, basically there's the, con, you know, they, they can have that control to be able to, you know, access your vehicle and so on. So, uh, so you could be driving home and you're like, oh, the new, I've got the new iPad in the, in the back of the car. You don't even have to worry about going anywhere. Yeah, I was just looking around for the bag actually from that delivery because I left it in my office. But actually, now the studio has been remixed and it's not my office. And yeah, anyway, I it's can't fair. see it. But uh, yeah, um, yeah seems seem to be a good good service. Um, Keith, yeah, I mean, I think that the you know when online first started happening, everyone was like, oh, physical presence stores just decimated. There's no point. We'll all just sit at home. And I think there's a rejuvenation of what a physical experience means, whether it's drive through or a shopping experience. And when you got an online brand doing it, you know, we do have Apple and stores and Microsoft stuff. They've got a chance to kind of, as well as provide that service, it's more costly to do physical and digital. But they're reinforcing their brand. They're getting you into thinking about Amazon in a different way. So I think it's pretty clever. Uh, and I think we're you know going through a little bit of a resurgence of what going shopping or going into a drive through what that actually means alongside a, or you might be coming from knowing these things from digital world and then oh physical you know so it's 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 interesting and I think it's a good good move. Yeah, well, interestingly, Amazon who'd never made a profit for years and years and years of slow have just recently started making some, well, in the scheme of things, a small profit considering what they're. Uh, 
their you know market cap is. So I think their last one was sort of in the hundred or so million US uh, range, which doesn't really uh, you know line up with the valuation. But you know they've got the they've got the might to uh, yeah basically come in and uh, do whatever they want. Certainly in the in the US market where they do do lots and lots of tests and uh, yeah you can imagine over time uh, they could be doing what Uber have sort of done and spread themselves much more globally than what they are today uh, although they're certainly doing plenty of plenty of New Zealand commerce I think at the at the moment but it's a drop in the bucket compared to what they could be doing mm. uh, longer term particularly with this you know local presence so yeah, I uh, I'm kind of curious to see what will what will come of that and um, yeah whether they'll actually go ahead and do it um, now, there's been a few articles going around um, in regards to Android security recently, and uh, yeah, more and more um, you know, critical sort of takes on uh, this the situation with varying uh, handsets and and uh, builds of Android being at risk. And of course, last week it came to light that. Uh, you could send a malformed uh, SMS message to an Android phone and basically take it over. Um, this is—it's um, not looking too good here, is it, for Google? In fact, um, some some people are sort of comparing the uh, or saying that Android security problems are worse than than, than uh, you know the issues that Adobe has around Flash and you know, I guess the things that we've seen with um, with Java as well. Um, Nate, what's your pick? Because you're quite a, you know, you've been a big Android fan for Forever. for a long time on this stuff. Um, yeah. You haven't really had any security issues that you're aware of, but does it sort of leave you a little bit uncomfortable when you hear, th- you know, things like this, uh, you know, SMS bug and so on? I think it does, but as a software developer, I also understand that you. I think it's very naive to think that any platform you're ever going to have, unless you're Barack Obama's um, BlackBerry that he's got. You're never going to have a platform that's going to be 100%. So I think it's just keeping on on top of um, what security um, flaws get identified and then making sure that you, like any good server, you always keep it patched um, because there's always stuff that's being discovered all the time. Um, It is, yeah, disappointing that there's such, in my mind, such a simple way to through text message. But yeah, there's not really much you can do, unfortunately. What do we do? Because there are so many different Android vendors and Android devices that, a lot of them just remain; they don't get patched at all. So we hear about a new vulnerability w- with Android, and yeah, you know, recently there have just been so many. Uh, you know, it seems like you need to, you know, if you've got a device that's of, you know, more than a few months old, there's, um, you know, you potentially need to drop it in a rubbish bin. Yeah, it's interesting that you know we can talk about Windows, Android. You know, what inherently what's more secure or less secure? But the problem is the carriers. It's the ability to get those fixes. I mm. think Google had fixed it really quickly. Mm. Um, you know, so it's much when we talk about Android security or Android flaws, it's actually you know the whole caboodle. It's getting those fixes to people that have them on older devices. Because I think that's the big difference, isn't it, between the Apple ecosystem and the Android one? Whereas Apple will have an update and they just push it and the carriers it's sort of lump it or leave it whereas android will release the update and then it's up to the carriers to push it out to the devices and then well, you it's get a handset maker and yeah. then the carrier so yeah. it depends is that is the handset maker interested in doing any more updates for their device do they you know and then they've got to do it hand it over to the carrier the hands-off approach with Android and the, you know, the non-Google versions of Android is a good thing for everybody in the terms of proliferation of the operating system, but of course Google loses control over the ability to do 
what Microsoft would do with a Windows update. Mm. Um, so that is a little bit of a problem. Um, now it's interesting because uh, yeah, Apple have been the best, I think. You know, around uh, being able to keep their devices at a similar yeah level in terms of updates. Most people tend to push the updates out very quick or accept the updates on their their smartphone or their tablet pretty quickly. Unless they've got an older device, and then they're more at risk because the updates don't, you know, don't become available. Uh, Microsoft, I've I've heard some mixed messages around uh, what's going to happen with Windows 10 when it comes to the the phone. So there were some comments initially; it was just going to happen sort of standard Windows update, and they'd be able to push these things out. Um, but there, you know, I've heard other comments, you know, where where they've said, "Oh, well, the carriers are going to be involved in the process," and and so on too. So. Uh, you know, at at the moment, I mean, it very much seems as though uh, you know Apple are in the driver's seat from a security uh, you know standpoint uh, against the other players. With um, you know, I guess Google sitting in the in the worst position at the moment for now, though, because I don't know about you, but I always find that you you'll think something's secure, and then inevitably there'll be a massive Twitter storm, and it will be all over the blogs about some vulnerability discovered with Apple, and then Android. Or, it's a- a- absolutely, but I guess the difference every- is that that Apple can. Can address that much yeah, much true. quicker. Yeah, that's the thing um, about we're talking about. You know, it's hard. To, it's hard to compare complex pieces. That's more secure. This is more secure. I think it's the distribution mechanism. Apple yeah. have you know for their own benefit, they have control over that ability to fix fix things. Whereas Android and uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen with Windows 10 update, but uh, on phones, but uh, it may not have the same level of control over the patching. Maybe we should just go back to the old school Nokia with Snake. That was cool. Yeah, yeah. couldn't couldn't you know, Symbian back back to real old school. And you get a month. Who needs who needs a smartphone anyway, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, the the article that I was reading for this was on Apple Insider, so it is an Apple fan site. To be fair, um, and you are wearing an Apple shirt. No, I no. <laughs> don't. You say that um, with, his, with his Apple tattoo. What's this iPhone you're putting in my yeah. hand? Oh, it's a it, nice new. Oh, did you see a watch? Did you see his tattoo? It says "Designed in California" as well on his arm. It's a new one. Still red. Oh, you guys are such bullies. You're both using uh, Android phones to be to be fair. So I, I expect to get. So don't uh, send us a text message. I expect to get hassled. <laughs> um, I've only got one android in my pocket at the moment so there we go um all right well i think that's us for this week so um thank you both for joining us now uh nate you're pretty easy to track on twitter aren't you with your n-a-t-e nate twitter handle yeah i shared two offers from two guys i think you're gonna give me 50 bucks for the name and i was like 50 dollars for your twitter handle (laughs) so yeah i think it's worth at least 75 nate yeah 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 yeah, must be so i'm just yeah nate on twitter or you can hit my blog as nate dunn so that's d-u-n-n.com Excellent. And I am K Patton, K-P-A-T-T-O-N, on Twitter. Excellent. And uh, you can track me down at Paul Spain on Twitter. Uh, you can read the notes about the show and uh, links to the guy's Twitter handles as well at nztechpodcast.com. Uh, you can find our other podcasts at podcasts.co.nz. Hey, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week with another bumper show, uh, and we will very much look forward to catching up with you then. If anyone's got any feedback on the show, any uh, suggestions or comments, then uh, feel free to reach out uh, over social media. You can also uh, um, reach me on email, paul.spain at nztechpodcast.com. All right, see ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.